We truly have the victory through Jesus Christ. This week we've endeavored to paint a picture, to look at that cross of Jesus and the crucifixion account and the story of the Gospels that we have recorded for us, and to hopefully make some connections to our lives even today. And hopefully through examining the characters and the individuals who were present at the cross that day, you find yourself there. And you can relate to some of the issues and some of the circumstances that each of these characters found themselves in as they were confronted with the choice of what they would do concerning Jesus hanging there before their eyes, dying on a cross. Last night we talked about those two criminals that hung on either side. And if you think about it, you've got all of humanity right there in that picture. You've got the Son of God hanging there, dying for the redemption of a fallen race. And on one side you have rejection, and on one side you have faith. And it's really a choice of which one you're going to be tonight. Tonight we're going to talk about the most notorious individual who was there. Probably the most infamous adversary that mankind and God has ever had. And that's Satan himself. I believe Satan was there when Jesus died on the cross. I think Satan was working through the decisions and choices that other people had made, such as Judas, which we studied earlier in the week. And I believe Satan was there out of pride and out of his own ego to hopefully capture and, and to understand and see that he had gained a victory over God. And ultimately, it was his greatest defeat. And that Jesus was dying for a purpose. And at the end of the study, we're going to look at who really made that decision and if it really had anything to do with Satan himself at all or not. But tonight, we're going to look at that lurking adversary. In Luke chapter 22 and verse 2, the Bible says, "...and the chief priests and scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people." Then entered Satan into Judas, surnamed Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve. So we see that, Jesus, that Satan himself had been operating. Satan had tried to put a plan in place. And Satan had been working through those who were jealous of Jesus and those who hated Jesus and what he had preached and what he had stood for. And he was looking for an opportunity that he might defeat Jesus. And he thought the cross was the ultimate conquest of what he could do and perform against God. You know what Satan's ultimate goal from the beginning always was? As far as our understanding of Satan and our creation and in this earth, it was to thwart the Word and to thwart the plan of God. Revelation chapter 12, beginning of verse 3 says, And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars out of the heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron and her child was caught up unto God and to His throne. And in Revelation 12, we see a picture of the Messiah that was going to come out of the nation of Israel. And that that... Messiah, that Savior, that man-child that it speaks of there, was sought by Satan himself. You know, there were instances throughout the history of the Bible that we read and we study that there were attempts made on the life of Jesus, weren't there? There were times where rulers and those that were in power sought to kill Him and were unsuccessful. There were times where Satan himself tried to tempt Jesus and to try to get him to fall and to give in to temptation and the lust of the flesh, just like he operates on you and I. And at times he even operated through those that were closest to him. Think about the slaying of the innocent in Matthew chapter 2. Verse 16 says, Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, and all the coast thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. You see, Herod's desire was that this Messiah, this Savior, this King that the Israelites were looking for to restore the nation of Israel to its prominence and to its power, that that child would just be destroyed. That would solve his problem. 
The problem was the plan didn't work, did it? (laughs) Because God had gotten word to Joseph and Mary to escape and to flee into Egypt. Now I want you to think about all the other children that died. And I want you to understand Satan was behind that. Herod made the decision and made the call, but it was the spirit of Satan working through him to go and slay every infant child under the year of under the age of two years old. Could you imagine? If someone came into Denton, Texas and said, we're going to round up every child that's under the age of two and we're just going to murder them. That's Satan's work. And that was Satan's attempt to squash this idea of a Savior, a Redeemer of Israel, and a King that would restore the throne of David. You know, he tried to operate through temptation as well. In Matthew chapter 4, as Jesus fasts for 40 days and 40 nights following His baptism of John, He's led up into the wilderness. And guess who's there? Satan. And what does Satan attempt to do? The first thing he tries to do is tempt him by getting Jesus to use His power for a carnal benefit. He knew Jesus would be hungry. And what did He do? He said, turn these stones into bread that you might be filled. And Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the next temptation, He saith unto him, all these things will I give thee, as He took him up to that pinnacle and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. Satan had the power to do that. And he showed those things to Jesus and said, bow down and worship me and I'll give all this to you. And Jesus said what? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God and Him alone shalt thou serve. But what was Satan attempting to do? He was attempting to tempt Jesus to fall and give in to sin. Isn't that how Satan works on us? I want to tell you, Satan can't come and control you and make you do anything. But he certainly can tempt us, can he? Through our own lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, Satan has a way to try to get into our heart and into our life and to lead us away from God. And that's what he was trying to do with Jesus. Because he knew if I can just get him to slip up one time, this is at his weakest moment. He's brand new. He was just baptized. That was Satan's mind. He didn't really know who he was dealing with, did he? And he twists the Scriptures and manipulates those things to try to trick Jesus. And Jesus wasn't having any part of it. And Jesus never gave in to those temptations. You know, Satan even tried to get Jesus to avoid the cross. Matthew chapter 16, beginning of verse 21, the Bible says, From that time forth began Jesus to show unto His disciples how that He must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. He told His disciples these things very plainly. Then Peter took Him and began to rebuke Him. Now stop there for a second. Could you imagine rebuking Jesus? (laughs) Jesus has just told you, hey, these evil men... Guess what they're going to do? They're going to take me. They're going to capture me. They're going to torture me. They're going to kill me. But three days later, I'm going to rise again. And you hear that of Jesus. You pull Him over to the side and say, Jesus, no! No! This can't happen to you! And Peter rebuked Him for that. But what did Jesus say? I think it's interesting. He didn't say, Peter, be quiet. What did he say? He said, get thee behind me, Satan. Jesus understood that in Peter's heart at that very moment, Satan was trying to hatch a plan. Satan was trying to operate through Peter's ultimate concern for Jesus because Peter at that time didn't have an understanding of the spiritual kingdom that Jesus was actually talking about. And their idea was if their king died, they had no king. And Peter didn't want that to happen. But notice how Satan tried to work, even trying to make Jesus avoid the cross. You know, Jesus knew Satan's character. Jesus knew Satan better than Satan knew himself. You wonder how that is? It's because God created Satan. He didn't create the devil. What He created was an angel. One that should have served in heaven. 
that should have been at the beck and call of God to fulfill His mission and His will in His realm. But that wasn't enough for Satan. And Jesus knew Satan's character. John 8 verse 44 says, You are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Jesus plainly taught who Satan was. He was a murderer from the beginning. And think about Satan's first interaction with man. What did he do? Ultimately, he brought sin and death into this world by tempting Adam and Eve to eat of that fruit that God told him not to eat of. He was a murderer. All he desired was for destruction and chaos and separating man from God. And Jesus knew that. He said he's a liar. Everything he speaks is deceptive. It's a lie. Don't fall into it. Don't listen to it. And how many times do we find ourselves listening to that voice of Satan? Tempting us to give in to those carnal desires that we have. And ultimately bringing death and destruction into our own lives. Jesus knew Satan. Jesus knew everything Satan might try against him. And Jesus' purpose was ultimately to defeat Satan. 1 John 3 and verse 8 says, He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And then again in Colossians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, says, Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances which was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show or a display of them openly, triumphing over them in it. It says as Jesus hung on the cross, guess what he did? He won. We don't think of the cross as a victory in a physical sense, do we? We would think of an individual dying on a cross as, guess what? You lost. You lost the battle. You're hanging there dead. And God's Word says it's in that moment that everyone may look at and see weakness that Jesus made a display openly and overpowered who? The principalities and powers. Who's that? It's the rulers of the darkness of this world. That's Satan himself. And Jesus triumphed over them in what they saw as their own victory. They never had a chance. Because Jesus' purpose was to defeat Satan and that realm of evil and restore you and I to God's side. Now, this is a bit of a philosophical question that I'll be honest, I've struggled with. Why would Satan kill Jesus? Why would Satan do that? If by that death he was going to be defeated, then why would he want that to happen? A few thoughts. Number one, many people may say, well, God made him do that. (laughs) Because of God's sovereignty and his overall plan and what he had, he made Satan perform and do those things. I don't believe that. I think Satan operated by his own free will, just like we have the opportunity to do today. There's another thought that Satan just couldn't help himself. He was so bloodthirsty and he was so vindictive against Jesus and everything good that Jesus stood for that he wanted that moment of satisfaction that he thought he won even if he knew it was going to defeat him in the end. Possibly. There's another school of thought that Satan underestimated Jesus' resurrection. And that thinking he could defeat Jesus and cause the death of Jesus and hold him bound in death. But then Jesus defeated him by the resurrection, by the power of God. That's an interesting idea, isn't it? We could delve into any of these theories tonight, but I want to propose another one. What if Satan didn't know what was going to happen? Have we ever given that any thought? Because a lot of times when we think about Satan, we almost put him on equal footing with God. 
And we think of this adversarial relationship that these battles are being fought in these angelic realms and you've got Satan and his angels against God and his angels and man, it's an even fight and we don't know who's going to win. We have to remember and understand Satan was a created being by the God who has no creator. God is infinitely more powerful than anything that He has ever created. And there's nothing that He has created that could stand against Him. But in our minds, we view Satan that way, don't we? And I propose this evening that Satan, blinded by his pride and his ego, had no idea what was really going on and what was really going to happen as Jesus hung there on the cross. And I want to share with you why I believe that. Number one, Satan knew the Scriptures. And Satan would have known the prophecies concerning the Savior and the Messiah. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 6, as Jesus is being tempted of Satan, verse 6 says, And saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written... Who's speaking here? This is Satan. And guess what Satan is doing? He is using the Scriptures, the Word of God, in an attempt to trick Jesus. And he says, For it is written, He shall give His angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against a stone. That's an accurate quotation of a passage out of the book of Psalms. (laughs) Satan knew the Word of God. Satan knew the Scriptures. He could use those things to manipulate and try to subdue Jesus. But I want you to understand something. Satan was expecting the same thing that everyone else was. Even Jesus' disciples, what were they expecting Jesus to do? Establish an earthly kingdom. They expected Jesus to restore the throne of David, sit in a literal throne in the city of Jerusalem, and rule and restore Israel. That's what they were looking for. And I want to tell you, Satan was expecting the same thing. He had no idea about the spiritual kingdom that Jesus came to prepare and establish with His death. John chapter 6 and verse 14 says, Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take Him by force to make Him a king, He departed again into a mountain Himself alone. These people saw this miracle that Jesus performed and guess what they said? He's the one! He's the one! He's the prophet! We found Him! He's our King! He's going to restore us! He's going to give us power again! He's going to restore the nation of Israel! God's people! And Jesus, perceiving their thoughts, knew that they were going to come and they were going to grab Him and make Him be their King. So what did He do? He ran off. Escaped to a mountain by Himself. Because he wasn't here to set up an earthly kingdom. Even though that's what everybody was looking for. There's a passage in Acts chapter 8 about a man who had come to Jerusalem to worship God. And he was a man of Ethiopia. We call him the Ethiopian eunuch. And he was traveling back to Ethiopia after worshiping God. And he was reading a passage out of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 53. You and I are familiar with that passage and we say, that's the suffering servant. But do you understand that before the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and His resurrection, nobody really identified Isaiah 53 as the suffering servant? (laughs) They didn't make that connection. Go and look at historical accounts and recordings in Jewish history. They didn't make that connection. They didn't understand that. That eunuch didn't, did he? That's why he's reading that passage out of Isaiah 53 and reading about that one that would be as a lamb done before her shearers and not opening his mouth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this? Tell me who this is talking about, because I have no idea. He knew the Old Testament. He knew the Scriptures, but he didn't know Jesus. And when he read Isaiah 53, he had no idea of what that was really talking about. That's why he said, please guide me. Please show me. And what did Philip preach to him? Jesus. And then everything came into place, didn't it? 
He understood. Isaiah 53 is about Jesus. He's the one that died on the cross. He was the one that was resurrected from the dead. That's the suffering servant. That's the Savior. That's the Messiah. Everything made sense. But it took Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection for those things to be manifest. We're critical of them, aren't we? I don't know how many times I've heard people say, how could the Jews not know? (laughs) Nobody knew. It was a mystery. I want to tell you it was a mystery by the design of God. You know, many question Jesus. John chapter 12 verse 34 says, The people answered Him, We have heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever. And how sayest thou the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? You see, Jesus previously had just told them what? If I the Son of Man be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Jesus knew He was going to be lifted up between heaven and earth and die on a cross. And in that death, guess what He was going to do? He was calling all men unto Him. Because He was the pathway to God. These Jews that heard that teaching said, but we've heard that the Christ abides forever. So you can't be Him. So who is this Son of Man that you're talking about? They didn't understand. You know who else didn't? John the Baptist. We think of John the Baptist as a great man of faith. And he was. But you know, there was a moment as he was imprisoned that he heard about what Jesus was doing. And what did he do? Matthew 11, verse 2 and 3 says, Now when John had heard in prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? This is the same John the Baptist that had seen Jesus approaching him as he's in the River Jordan baptizing, and he makes that declaration what? Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. And now he's in prison hearing about him. Is he really the one? Oh, man. It wasn't just the Jews that struggled with that. His own disciples struggled with that. It wasn't just the Pharisees and those who were out to get him because of the authority that they thought he was seeking. But his own disciples questioned and had their doubts. And then Peter, in John 13 and 36, Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, where do you go? Where are you going? Jesus answered him, Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Shouldn't Peter have known that? And I want us to understand, these individuals didn't have the entirety of the Word of God in their hands. They didn't have the ability to make connections from the Old Testament to the New Testament that we have the ability to do and the responsibility to do. They were living it in the moment. And yes, they had heard these prophecies, they had heard these ideas, but, but Jesus had come in such a way that was different than what they were expecting. Because everyone was looking for an earthly kingdom. But you know, these things were truly hidden. Luke chapter 18 verse 31 says, Then He took unto Him the twelve and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles and shall be mocked and spitefully entreated and spit it on. And they shall scourge him and put him to death. And the third day he shall rise again. Can you read that and understand what that says? Just nod your head like this. All of you young people, nod your head for me. Yes. We read that and we say, well, yeah, that's the story of the gospel. That's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We get that. The very next verse, verse 34. And they understood none of those things. (laughs) And this saying was hid from them, neither knew they the things which were spoken. Have you ever heard somebody teach you something or show you something? And you might have given a nod, but inside you're saying, I have no idea what you just told me. Dustin starts talking about math stuff sometimes. Oh yeah, that's neat. I have no idea what he's talking about. These disciples heard Jesus tell them these things very plainly. They couldn't see it. It was hidden. 
And it wasn't hidden because they were bad people not trying to understand. It was hidden because they couldn't understand at that time. Remember what Jesus told His disciples? He said, there's a lot of things I could tell you right now, but you wouldn't be able to handle them. You couldn't bear them. He said, but be assured, I'm going to send you what? The Comforter. The Holy Spirit. That when that Holy Spirit comes, guess what? It will bring all these things to your remembrance. And you'll have that understanding that you need to have. It wasn't time for them to have it yet. That's why it was hidden to them. And it was hidden to everyone. And one thing I want us to understand about Satan, in many ways, he's brilliant. But in no way is he omniscient. He is cunning. He is crafty. He is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But he's not all-powerful. He's not really in control. He may lie to himself and believe he is, and we may allow him footholds in our life to where we give him control of certain aspects of who we are, and through sin give in to those things. But he is nothing compared to God. John 14 and 30 says, Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. Jesus said, There is a clear distinction between me and the prince of this world. And when he says the prince of this world, he's talking about Satan. He's talking about the devil. And he said, There is a clear distinction between who I am and who he is, and he has no part in me. He's nothing compared to who I am. And we have to remember that. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14 says, But the natural man, and this is one of the reasons why, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. What did Satan want more than anything? As he was residing in heaven with God as an angel. What did he want? He wanted control, didn't he? He wanted power. He wanted authority. He wanted everything that God had. And when he realized that was an impossibility, instead of submitting to God and being a servant in God's realm of His kingdom at that time with those angels, guess what he did? He rebelled. And he decided he would fight against God. And in a moment, God cast him out. Jesus said He saw him fall like lightning to the earth. You know why? Because God was in control. Satan had no power over God. Nor does he today. And we need to remember that about our adversary. What Satan really underestimated was God's love for man. I could envision Satan with God. And Satan is that angel talking to God and telling God that, God, you're just self-serving. You only want what you want. You don't listen to anybody else. You don't love us. You just want us to obey you. You're a control freak. I want to tell you, that was Satan's perception of God. He didn't understand the love of God. And I want to tell you, many people in our world today don't understand what true love is because they believe love is what? Accepting every position as equally valid and okay. And if you don't think my lifestyle choice is okay, according to whatever standard you choose to live by, then you don't love me. How many times do we hear that? We hear that all the time. I want to tell you who started that was Satan. Because Satan wanted power and control and God didn't give it to him. And Satan said, you don't love us. You just want to keep us in bondage. You don't want us to know what you know. You don't want us to be as powerful as you. You're holding us back. That was Satan's perception of God. And what Satan never could understand was why God loved us. Filthy stinky, lowly man who had sinned 
and violated God's will time after time after time. And God still looked down on us and said, I love you. And in fact, I love you enough that my son's going to die for you. Think about John 17, those first two verses. Jesus is praying. He prays for Himself and what He's about to endure. He prays for those disciples that were with Him at that time. And then He prays for all of those other disciples that would come after, which would include us. And in John 17 and verse 1, He says, These words spake Jesus, lifted up His eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify Thy Son, that Thy Son also may glorify Thee. As Thou hast given Him power over all flesh, that He should give eternal life to as many as Thou hast given Him. Jesus saw the cross that He was about to bear, that He was going to die on, that His flesh was going to be nailed to, that His blood was going to soak. And He said, guess what? That's God glorifying His Son. That's hard for us to understand, isn't it? And that in that moment, God was glorified. We don't see the cross as that, do we? Many times we see the cross as defeat that Jesus lost. And Jesus said, that was me glorifying God as He hung there. And Satan could not wrap his mind around that because he underestimated God's love for man. Satan makes that accusation against God. Satan is referred to as the accuser, isn't he? And in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 5, in the very beginning in the creation of man, guess what Satan does? He goes to Eve and he says, Hadn't God said you can eat of all the trees? And Eve recites the commandment of God and says what? We can eat of all the trees except for the one tree that's in the middle of the garden. Number one, how would you have reacted if a serpent came up to you and started talking to you? (laughs) I always think, where was Adam? We never stepped in to take control. No, he sat there idly by and watched Eve have this discussion with a serpent. And she fell. But what did she fall into? Well, notice what Satan said. He tempted her. He says, you can eat, you won't die. He said, the real reason God don't want you eating that fruit is, guess what? Because God knows on the day you eat it, then your eyes are going to be opened and you're going to be as good as Him. (laughs) And you're going to know good and evil. And you'll be just as powerful and just as smart and intelligent as God. Do you ever wonder why Satan went there? Because isn't that what he wanted? And he knew he couldn't have it. So he said, you know what I'll do? I'll trick God's creation into thinking they can have it. And how many people today believe they're smarter and more intelligent than God? And they buy into Satan's lie. And they believe the accusation that Satan levied against God. That he's unloving. And I want us to understand about the cross tonight is that the cross forever answers and defeats that accusation of Satan. Because couldn't God have saved man any way He wanted to? But when you think about a Creator that's all-powerful and could choose to save humanity and mankind any way He wants to, yet He chooses to sacrifice His only begotten Son, guess what He wanted us to understand? He wanted us to have a full understanding of what Satan himself could never understand, and that was His love for mankind. That's why He chose to save man that way. Tonight, don't underestimate God's love for you. Don't underestimate the the love that God has for His creation. And don't fall into that deception of Satan. Because ultimately, God does what Satan couldn't even imagine. He rescues us. 
Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 says, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. He also delivers us from bondage, from sin. Hebrews chapter 2 and 14 says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, He also Himself likewise took part of the same, that through death He might conquer him or destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who all their lifetimes or through fear of death, were all their lifetime subject to that bondage. And in Jesus' death on the cross, He defeated that fear of death. He went into that realm of the dead, and He came out victorious. And He purchased and He delivers us. Satan can't understand that. You know why? Because Satan's an angel. You know what happened to the angels who rebelled against God? You know what they weren't given? They weren't given an opportunity to repent. A creation of God. And a lot of the reason why was they were in the presence of God. <laughs> It'd be one thing if we were always in God's presence and we rebel against Him. We probably would never repent anyway, would we? But as human beings on this earth... God looks at us and says, I'm giving you another opportunity that He didn't give to those angels. Because when Satan rebelled, he was cast out of heaven, eternally sentenced. He had no chance to repent and change, nor would he. But you and I have that blessing and opportunity, and Satan and the angels can't understand that. I've had this thought in my mind a few times as well. Why didn't God just destroy Satan? <laughs> Have you ever thought about that? Man, that would make life easier, wouldn't it? Could God do it? Yeah. The psalmist writes in Psalm 89 and verse 6, For who in the heaven can be compared unto the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened unto the Lord? God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence of all them that are about Him. O Lord God of hosts, who is a strong Lord like unto Thee. You know, when you read in the book of Revelation as God is able to cast Satan down into that bottomless pit, God can handle Satan like a rag doll. <laughs> he can do whatever He wants to with him. But you know what would happen? If he did that? Would he be justified in doing that? But you know, part of that accusation that Satan makes against him could be founded. And God knows that. And for God won't do that until that time is here. And it's time for Satan to ultimately serve his eternity separated from him with all those who would serve him in this life. Matthew chapter 8, verse 29, the demons understood the power that Jesus had. It says, And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Those demons recognized Jesus, didn't they? They even confessed that he was Jesus, that he was the Son of God. And then they say, Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? And then what happens? They plead with Jesus, if, if you're going to cast us out, put us in those swine. And Jesus certainly did that, didn't He? Satan is nothing compared to the power that God has. But God's plan wasn't to destroy Satan, but it was to refute his accusation against him. And to refute that accusation forever. Because God's plan was a mystery to Satan himself. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 6 says, How be it we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world, that come to naught, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory which none of the princes of this world knew. For they, if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. You know what Paul's saying there? I want to tell you, he's not talking about Pilate and Caiaphas and Herod and all those guys who were on the earth trying to kill Jesus. 
You know who he's talking about? He's talking about Satan and his angels battling against God. And he says if Satan could have understood the mystery, he wouldn't have tried to kill Jesus. He wouldn't have wanted Jesus on that cross. Why? Because that was the ultimate defeat of Satan because it was the greatest expression of what Satan said God was not capable of. It was the greatest expression of God's love. And it was a mystery to Satan himself. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, he says, "...in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them." Jesus is that light that can shine in a dark place and make the change that's necessary to turn that individual to a servant of God. But Satan blinds individuals' eyes to that truth. Why? Because he is the God of this world. He does have power. He has a sense of control here. But I want to tell you, it's subject to the control that you give him in your life. He can't take control of anything that you don't give over to him. Young people, do y'all know why we've been talking about spiritual warfare all week? That's why. Because the only way Satan can harm you in your life is you give yourself over to him. That means you have to fight. You have to struggle. You have to not give in to temptation. And you have to be a servant of the Most High God every day of your life. Because if you're not, Satan can come into your life and destroy it. Because you let him in there. Everybody get your Bibles out. I want to look at a passage in Ephesians chapter 3. Just to bring that point home. And to solidify it for us tonight. Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to start there in verse 3. says, how that by revelation He made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto His holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of His promise in Christ by the gospel." whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of His power. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ." to the intent that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be made known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. It was a mystery. Nobody knew. Satan didn't know. Satan didn't know what he was doing. In a sense, he was running around creating havoc and chaos, thinking he was doing something profitable for him. He wasn't doing anything. Because he didn't understand the game plan. He didn't know the mystery. You know why? Because that mystery was revealed to the apostles. It was revealed to them by the Holy Spirit. It had previously been hidden in God. You know what that means? God kept it hidden until it was time for it to be widely opened and known for all men. And it's now even seen by angels through the church. I don't know about you, but when I read and I study about angels in the Bible, I'm jealous of them sometimes. I think about the power that they have. I think about the task that God entrusts to them to go and carry out these missions as servants of His. 
And you think about the power that an angel has. You know what the angels say about you and I? I wish I had what you have. I wish I knew what you know. We don't feel that way, do we? But the angels desire to look into and understand the things that have been given to us through the Gospel. Because the Gospel was for the salvation of man. And you and I have that through Jesus Christ. No angel, including Satan himself, understood this mystery until Jesus' death on the cross. And by then, it was too late. (laughs) The deed had been done. The angels desire to understand this mystery. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 10, "...of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow." Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. You know, we talked the other night about some of the faith of some of those apostles. But as those women went to that tomb the third day, why did they go to the tomb? to finish taking care of the body. If they really had faith and really knew what was going on, what would they have said? Why are we going to a tomb? He's not going to be there. (laughs) They went expecting to find a body. But then they got there and they got the greatest news of all time. The tomb was empty. And you can almost feel their heart energize. We thought he was dead, but he's alive. We doubted who he was, but we don't doubt anymore. And then as he began to make appearances to them, that faith solidifies, it galvanizes, and they get ready to go out and preach that gospel. And those angels wish they could look into and understand that fact tonight. See, what the angels learned leads us to understand that angels can look into our realm. Angels can watch us. In Luke 15, Jesus said that, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. How do they know that unless they can observe and see things that happen here in our realm? Fascinating to think about. But what they learned is they saw Jesus nailed to that cross. Don't you think they questioned as they see Jesus laid out on that cross and a nail go through His wrist and another wrist, what's going on? Why is this happening? Why is, why, what, what's God do? What is happening? Desperately trying to figure this mystery out. They have no idea. The nail goes through His feet. More questions, more concerns. Jesus is crucified. Why? You know what the angels learned that day? is that God is far more loving than even they could have ever imagined. And Satan learned that that day too. That infuriated Satan. That angered him. Made him mad. Because in reality, Satan had nothing to do with Jesus hanging on that cross. You know who was in control the whole time? Jesus was. John chapter 10 and verse 17, Jesus said, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. You know why Satan couldn't understand that? Because he had no idea of the love that God had for you. And Satan sees Jesus hanging there and Satan thinks, I've won, I've got him. And Jesus all along said, you had nothing to do with this. I gave my life for them. 
tonight Jesus gave His life for you. And I want you to know how mad it makes Satan when you serve God. As he was defeated when Jesus was crucified and that sacrifice was paid, Revelation 12 and verse 12 says, Therefore rejoice ye heavens and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the seal for the devil is come, and the sea for the devil is come down unto you having great wrath because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. All Satan can do now is go about causing chaos in our lives. But he can only do that if you let him. When Jesus died on the cross, it was truly a victory. It was a victory by the hands of Jesus Christ. Satan in his pride thought he had done something grand and glorious and Satan didn't do a thing. Because Jesus fulfilled the mission that laid before Him and Jesus offered Himself as a payment for your sins. If you need your sins forgiven, the only place you can have that is the cross of Christ. Don't give in to the deception and lies of Satan. Don't let him gain a foothold into your heart and lead you away from God, but take a stand for Christ. Because Christ stood for you. And because of His love, you love Him. And you serve Him every day of your life. And if you need to have your sin removed from your heart, you can do that in baptism. You can rise up out of that water a new creature, cleansed and made whole because of the sacrifice of Jesus. And if you're here tonight and you are a brother or sister, but you know you've given your heart and your life over to Satan, come back to God. He doesn't give the angels that chance, but He gives it to you tonight. That you could repent and you could be reconciled and restored to God by the power of the same blood that cleansed you when you were baptized. And it continually washes and keeps you clean. So at the end of our life, we have a promise of a home with God in heaven. And I hope and pray we all make it. Tonight, answer the call and the invitation of Jesus, and come as together we stand and sing.